Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast. This is Emily Mottram, and this month we're talking about climate zones and designing for specific climate zones. So we have Lance on the podcast today, and I am excited to hear about this. Colorado has many climate zones, so he's going to weigh in on a bunch of different ones. So go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, uh, and a little bit about Colorado. Well, my uh, full name is Lance Psycho, and I am uh, an active member of the Entree Architect community, and that's like, how you and I got in touch with each other. Um, I'm also a, uh, a podcaster myself, and our podcast is called Inside the Firm Podcast. We started it, it uh, looks like about three years ago now, and um, it's going strong. So we just we just unpeel, you know, what happens inside our firm and our developments and our construction projects um, every week, every Friday. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. I love the whole inside the firm. Um, I love what Mark has created, um, where architects get on and just share uh, what we're all doing, because, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel every time. So definitely uh, check out the podcast if you guys haven't heard uh, yours yet. But um, so Colorado has climate zones five, six, seven, and sometimes eight, depending on altitude. So how does that affect your design style when you're kind of in a different climate zone, uh, potentially every day. Yeah, right. No, no, you're totally spot on. Yeah, and actually, actually, I went, I looked it up real quick just to make sure I wasn't telling a fib. We actually, we actually span from three A all the way up to eight, and wow. it's because, well, if you just if you look at a map of Colorado, obviously we're in the middle a latitude of the country. So half of us is technically in like literally the Southwest, right? Because we have the four corners with Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the further South, especially Southeast, I mean, part of us also touches Texas. So it gets hot down there, um, you know, in, in, in the Southwest and the Southeast. And then obviously it goes all the way up to eight because of the mountains. And then it's super cold, right? So we have, we have projects where people are building above 8,000 um, feet above sea level and on the side of mountains and in those areas. And it, and it just gets, it gets cold. So uh, there's, you know, following the ICC and all of the prescriptive methods, or if we're working with a HERS rater, you know, the insulation levels can get pretty wild, like up to like R60 in the roofs. Um, so it's, it's something we have to combat all day long. I think the biggest thing that we're always up against more than anything is materials and how they, the insulation just seems to work itself out in the sense of is like i said if we're if we're using a prescriptive method with the international code council or an international energy for code council and then or if we have an energy rater it'll just work itself out and we'll have to detail things and everything but i would say the biggest thing to bring to attention is how the materials weather in colorado because of because we have for instance uh two weeks ago two sundays ago it was 70 degrees where I live and I live, I live just east of the mountains, which, which is basically known as the locals, the front range. So, you know, if you look west, you see the mountains and the east, you see prairie. Um, and since, so since we're only at about 5,000 feet above sea level, we can have, like we had two Sundays ago where it was 70 degrees, um, in the middle of, you know, at the end of February or at the end of January. 
And then now for the last two weeks, it has been bitter cold. Uh, you know, we've been down in the teens in the morning and then it'll get up to maybe 30 in the, in, in during, throughout the day. And then we're so close to the sun, you know, since we're, since we're at this higher altitude, it's just brutal on materials. So one, one thing that we try to avoid and you, you see the mistakes happen from other designers who come in and build in Colorado is they're using exterior wood. So you have these people coming from the West coast in the, you know, areas like Portland, um, Washington state uh, and Oregon and even California where you can specify, you know, redwood, ironwood, cedar on the outside of buildings and you, you'd be fine because it just doesn't have this insane closeness to the sun, the extreme temperature differences. And then also it's very, very dry here. So we're, where we are at is we're technically an arid, uh, semi-arid desert climate because we have under, I think, 20-something inches per year qualifies you as being an arid climate. Um, so, the, you know, people, yeah, I mean, you would think Colorado's super cold, but it's it's more than anything, it's just it's just brutal because we're in the middle of the of the country as far as the, the fluctuations, so. Yeah, how do you deal with the fluctuations? So you talk about, you know, materials and everything. Um, Maine is a primary heating climate. I mean, it was 44 degrees two days ago and then it snowed, but it still only got down to like 35. Um, but we have a lot of wet, you know, we we're dealing with a lot of cold weather and wetness. Um, never designed anything in a dry climate. Um, so is moisture vapor and all of that, not even a thing for you guys. It's not in climate zone. Well, actually I take that back. What's interesting is when I first moved to Colorado in 2008, we were specifying vapor barriers. Uh, and so then, then all of a sudden, everybody loosened up and they said, no, you don't have to do a vapor barrier. All you have to do is a class uh, three level finish on the inside. So what that means is just paint. Um, you just have to make sure that the paint you're using it basically provides the vapor barrier for you. And then they now recently they went back and said, no, we don't want that. Now, now we went back to the vapor barriers again. So now we're, now we're back to vapor barriers again. Um, but the, and the reason why they fluctuated back and forth is again, back to that, the lack of moisture in Colorado is, is just not, you know, if you're up in the mountains, vapor barriers all day long. I'm telling you, once you get down to the front range, like we have actually, I'm looking out the window right now. We've had, this is probably the most snow I've ever seen consistently on the front range you know, usually when i first moved here again a decade ago it was it would dump maybe six to 12 inches uh and then all of a sudden it would be 50 for the next three or four days and it's gone and then again we're so close to the sun that it would just there's no snow so on the front range you know vapor barriers aren't aren't super critical but once you get in the mountains 100 percent uh critical for us to be able to tackle that and then the other thing is like the soils, because on the front range, I'd say in the mountains, we're not so worried about the soils because it's decomposed granite or literally we're blasting rock and pouring a foundation on there. But when we're on the front range, our soils are actually some of the worst in the country. So when we do get, when it does rain, they expand and the swell rate is so great that a lot of times we are either completely over excavating to compensate for that. So our buildings are cracking. 
and shifting like crazy, or we're doing caissons and we're, we're doing drilled piers like 30, 30 feet down to compensate for that. So, so yeah, I mean, you, I, you know, a lot of people, again, back to the whole, well, we're worried about heating and cooling. It's a whole different set of what we're worried about because of these giant fluctuations in temperature, moisture. It's just not consistent. Um, so we're dealing with a lot of inconsistency. And that's why I think getting the materials, you know, getting away from wood on the exterior where that's an inconsistent material because it's so organic to instead we do a lot of stucco, we do a lot of fiber cement, things that are inert and just aren't going to have a big reactive um, measure, you know, with, with how, how the, the, uh, the weather moves so quickly here. Yeah. And that's really interting because, you know, here we're not going to do a lot of stucco because we have too much moisture and it's just, you know, it's too mm-hmm. cold and, you know, that it's, it's a totally, so, you know, if you have something that's designed for a stucco climate, like it's not that great of an idea in Maine, we're at the same time, like we're going to use a lot of wood. We have a lot of wood. We grow a lot of wood. We don't have those same conditions that you have where your altitude is so high and you just have blasting, you know, sun rays all the time um we're moving towards more natural materials and away from some of those other things which aren't made here or you know don't hold up well here over time or you know uh, although concrete the original limestone whatever comes from this area is like cutting down on concrete as it's you know nine percent of the world's carbon emissions is like oh that's a thing like you're drilling 30 foot piers you weren't using concrete in the first place (laughs) because Uh, so, so really interesting how, um, I mean, the United States is just interesting in general because there are so many different climate zones anyway. Like you look at Passive House and it was started in Germany and they just, they don't have a lot mm-hmm. of changes in that. And then you bring that to the United States and well, like, oh man, we have hot and dry, hot and wet. We have cold and dry. We have super cold. We have mountains. We have, you know, and the geological, just like you said, in the soils, like we have a lot of granite here because you know Maine is pretty rocky do, do you guys have vestibules I mean you talk about the do you guys have vestibules up there where like a commercial building for instance where you just have a little compartment you know two sets of doors because to combat the cold yeah yeah so yeah so the, the like <laughs> I went to school at North Dakota State University and that was a giant thing that you know every single critique whenever we were designing in class was where's the vestibule. And then we got down here and I tried to do it and they go, what are you talking about? <laughs> so like, what do you, what are we doing this for? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's not a rule of thumb everywhere. And I think that's a little bit because Maine is sort of behind the times. It's this fun, cool little place. That's like slowly catching on to the rest of it. But um, as far as, good planning and good commercial design, you would have a vestibule and you would have an airlock before you kind of got into the space mm-hmm. uh, because it it is cold and it can be brutal for, you know, like we say we have three seasons, we have mud season, we have winter and we have road construction. Like that's what we have here. Wow. Um, and so, so, but as we are looking at it and this whole idea of climate change and the climate zones moving 500 uh, miles north and you know it being Virginia like the weather in Maine will be like it is in Virginia now in 30 years um, you know goes back to that whole question of vapor barrier no vapor barrier uh-huh. we're doing a lot of vapor open structures now because I don't want in 30 years to find out my vapor barrier is in the wrong location because all of a sudden you know I mean even 
like you said, you moved there, you see it, you have more snow now than you had before. I would say I moved to Maine 12 years ago and we have less and less snow every year. Like we're just getting less. It's warmer longer. I mean, there were years when it was brutal in February. The entire month of February was like negative 15 degrees. Now it was like, it was 44 degrees two days ago. So we're not seeing as much snow and as much like huge temperature swings. So, yeah. The other thing that we struggle with is, is, the mountains are so the mountains basically go north to south generally and so everybody who's building on the front range what do you think they want to look at they want to look at the mountains which then are would be westerly right so we have this constant battle between and then at the same time we have uh even though florida is actually a little bit sunnier and that's whether the florida state they're the sunshine state i would argue that colorado is a close second because we have over 300 days of pure sunshine in colorado on the front range and so it makes for a perfect passive solar climate if you design it correctly. Like my house that we designed is is a passive solar house. Um, it's even though it's pretty big, it's you know 2,700 square, 2,500 square feet on the main floor and the upper floor. It's we, we're not paying. We're, we, it's affordable for us to to have that big of a house, but it's it was designed with you know trying to go solar south. But the problem is is that we always we're always competing with trying to be solar south versus oh but you guys want these views of the mountains like you paid you know mm-hmm. a lot of money for this property especially in like boulder county where where we're headquartered in it's you know it's sort of a mini california from all kinds of standpoints and we have this juggle because we you know we have to acknowledge the fact that well yes like this view is everything but at the same time, we always have to make everybody aware of that sun is so low and so brutal coming from the from the west um, at about from about 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. or actually even like I would say 3 to 8 in the summer. It's so brutal that you're not even going to want those shades. You're not even going to want the windows open. You're going to want those shades up to handle it. No, that's a major uh, that's a major issue um, in a lot of places. Um, here in Maine, we have a lot of water, so everybody wants to be on the water, mm-hmm. and they'll end up on the you know the north side of the lake, and they'll want a view of the lake, and so they want all glass on the lake side, and it's freezing. I mean, you can't be in the room, um, or you know, in our case, we build in a lot of super insulated houses, and so if the view is to the west, you can have major overheating. I mean, not to the level that you guys have. I mean that that would be completely uncomfortable. Um, you know, here it would be hot, but it wouldn't be the worst. And, you know, in your case, looking at the West and, you know, having to deal with exterior shading and interior shades and not having them open in the summertime, it's like you have this beautiful view, but you can't take advantage of it or put the deck on the West side. And then they realize that it's too hot to hang out on the deck. So, um, you know, we run into that a lot too is is trying to design for solar south and you know we do that in general the the length of the roof and solar panels and kind of moving in that direction because um in colorado i think you have a lot more gas but here uh in the northeast we have a lot of fuel oil mm-hmm. which is um i worked with a girl who came from colorado originally a few years ago we were doing energy work and they were in Maine while her husband did his residency and um you know she's like fuel oil what is that 
um, you know, because the rest of the country doesn't heat with number two fuel oil. Um, so we're moving people across the dial from fuel oil all the way straight to electric and doing, you know, PV panels on the roof. And so now we want our south facing roof slope. Well, what happens if south is the wrong direction on your lot and, or it faces the street or it's front facing or back facing or it doesn't face the view? You know, it's always that question is, moving away from the traditional architecture of, you know, front door faces the street to, I want the orientation of the house to face south. I don't, you know, irregardless of kind of what the rest of it is doing. And sometimes that's a hard sell. Yeah, no, it's always a balance, right? Um, it's always this, always this balance of, of, of well, you know, how do you, how do you tackle that? And, the, and there's no site that's perfect. Um, well, there's some there's some sites that are actually perfect. I should say that, but like not everyone is perfect, and that's that's what we struggle with. You know, we teach at CU also, and uh, so Colorado University of Colorado Boulder, and our some of our students are civil engineers, and they we try to. I don't know if I hopefully they remember what we say, but it's hard to you know you never know. But one of the things we say is like, look we pull up a we pull up a map just from Google Google map, any any kind of suburban neighborhood where like you got these snaking roads and stuff and we talk about, and we just point out like look at look at this house. Like this house has no opportunity and never will for southern exposure and understand what that means for, you know, in the long run if that you you build a house, it's gonna probably be here for at least twenty five years, if not maybe fifty or longer. And uh, the amount of energy it takes to heat and cool the thing just because the civil engineer, you know, wasn't wanted it on paper, it looked cool to do the curvy swervy streets with the cul-de-sac and all of that. So <laughs> it's not just us, right? I mean, it's all the design community involved all together of like from a macro to a micro and trying to be conscious, conscious yeah. Absolutely. Um, my office partner is actually a landscape architect and people, um, first thing people value engineer out is the landscaping because they think that they mm -hmm. just, you know, plant pretty things in, in the end. And I'm like, no, she's a grading plan down to like a half an inch on this thing. And, you know, everything, it's, it's water management, it's site placement, it's where does this go on the site? Like, how do we make this work so that we're doing the least damage to the site? We're not bringing in a bunch of fill because um, I don't know if this is just a main thing or if you find this a lot is, you know, our excavators are more interested in just putting it on the site and then bringing in fill to surround it and deal with it. You know, we're more <laughs> interested in working with the site and the natural grades on the site and placement and what you have and doing as minimal fill as possible. I mean, if you have to bring in fill because you have really poor soil or something like, okay, mm -hmm. but you know, the thought process isn't just like, okay, we'll plunk it down here and then we'll just fill around it. So we have all these things that are just like mountains out of the ground. It's like, no, no, <laughs> sure. The water drains away from it. That's great. But you know, um, we had an excavator who was like, Oh, you guys are, are crazy. Cause we're out there. We're staking the corners. I got my compass out. Like we know where solar South is. We're sliding the house over five feet. So we get this better view. And he's like, most people are just like over there somewhere. I'm like, that's how you dig a foundation just over there somewhere. That that seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a stickler with that. When we sighted our house, I was, I made like I was like I I want you to verify that you guys went solar south, and we did, and it obviously paid off because 
the first time it was, um, it got to zero degrees. This, we built it about four years ago. The first time it got to zero degrees outside, it was one of those perfect days, one of those perfect 300 you know days of sunshine in Colorado. It was 72 above and the furnace did not kick on. And I looked at my wife and she goes, wow. So, uh, but I think maybe, yeah, this may be a good like thing to kind of wrap things up. Um, I, I do have to jet, but is it about the site? That's another thing with, with Colorado, I think is so specific and interesting is um, everybody, you know, 1950s Americana, everybody gets a, a new house and everybody puts fescue grass in their yards, right? And it's just a water eater. It's just, and so it's just not the way that we should be designing because it's not climate specific, you know, Kentucky bluegrass or anything like that. So uh, now there's been this big movement throughout Colorado, and I'm really glad it's happening, is that everybody's moving to zero escape. And even our neighbors in our neighborhood, we live in this really unique neighborhood, which is outside of the city by about a mile, and it's a big circle. Uh, and then it's got, everybody has like a, between three quarters of an acre and three acres. Um, yep. And then, but everybody, everybody insisted they wanted lawns. Except for me, except for, our, except for our house and the neighbors to the north, which is a passive solar house. And ours is like a desert. It looks like a desert. And it's awesome because our water bill is, is super low. Uh, we already have a high efficiency fixtures inside and stuff. And uh, we're done. Actually, for the first two years, you're supposed to water it. And then after that, it's supposed to be on autopilot. And it has been. It's, we don't we don't give it any water. And then the maintenance is super low too. The biggest thing is just getting a landscaper out there, maybe, maybe once a month in the summer to pull, pull the weeds or treat the weeds, but that's the way to go. And I'm just like, but people thought it's still new enough where people were, we had neighbors come over to our house and say, are you guys, did you guys get that approved through the HOA? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we did. (laughs) Like like I get that it looks weird to you, but, to me, I'm just like, this is, this is exactly how it's was supposed to be done. Like if, because water is one of the biggest things we need in Colorado and we've had to, in order to make this population grow that, that we have in Colorado, now we're almost at 6 million people and supposed to be up to 10 within the next uh, two decades is water and having to dam up, up in the mountains and create these big reservoirs and then pull our water in that way. Um, because the, even the aquifers don't recharge enough on the, on the high plains outside, you know, east of the mountains. So um, that's the last thing is I just try to, we try to encourage everybody to seriously, like if you're going to do grass, what we did is we did Buffalo grass, which I think is a great alternative. And so the kids, my kids don't like it, but they got over it. Um, And I think this year's, but it's a native grass and you don't have to, you only supposed to water that maybe a quarter inch every month. Um, so you do have to do a little bit there, but man, it's just, that's, uh, I, I, it, 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 the only way we're going to get this population growth to work in Colorado specifically is if we're really, really conscious of water. Um, and California has the same problem, right? Is that you've got all yep. these lawns and that's not California. I mean, it's desert. So embrace it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, we try to get people to do more zero escaping. We don't have the same water issues uh, here in Maine. In fact, we apparently bottle all of our water and ship it to the rest of the country. Um, but uh, we do have a lot more people recently who, you know, who are going this idea of sustainable housing and that zero housing, passive house, all that stuff. But also they just 
don't want to maintain it. Like that whole idea of the fifties lawn and everybody had a lawn or whatever. Everybody is taking a step back from that and saying like, I don't want to spend every weekend mowing my lawn. Like what can I do that I can plant that'll be slow growing, low bush, blueberry, something that works here in Maine or shade growth that isn't lawn. So, um, you know, we have people who are going that way. I did a project out in Los Angeles with a zero scaping project and we just got rid of all the stuff that they have to water. And it was amazing awesome. to me how much people water. Like we don't uh, generally in Maine water things because we don't have to, but the thought of having a yard just so you could water it was mind boggling to me. Like I just, I don't get that at all. Exactly. So yeah well i know you have to run so i appreciate you popping on and talking a little bit about it it's always fascinating to me to hear what other people deal with as far as architecture and designing and other climates and you know things that we don't have to deal with in general but um kind of opening people's eyes that yeah maybe you shouldn't have a lawn in colorado or los angeles or nevada <laughs> so yeah cactuses are great buffalo grass is great yeah thank you very much for having me on appreciate it Thanks for tuning in again this week. I've been really enjoying having guests on talking about different climate zones. You can see how Colorado is totally different than what we've got going on here in zone six and even what we talked about with Travis last week. And you'll be really interested about the one coming up next week where we talked to Betty in Florida and how completely different Florida is and we talk about insulation and convincing people to do high-performance homes, and there are other parts of the country where durability, because you're too close to the sun or you get too much water, is a major issue. So again, thanks for tuning in. We're enjoying the podcast. If you like this, please share, like, leave us a comment on Apple iTunes. You can send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. If you want to connect or if there's something that you want to hear about or if you'd like to be on the podcast, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, matramarch.com. You can find me online, but mostly we'd like you to like, share, and comment on the podcast and give us a good idea what you might like to hear in the future. And for all of my non-Apple podcasters out there who listen to the podcast on the website, let me know what your favorite podcast player is. I'm going to potentially export this to a Google-based podcast player this year for those people who are more interested in Android uh, podcast players. So thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and we'll see you next week to talk about Florida. 